You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP. This is the next in our series of COVID special podcasts. And today my guest is Dr. Penny Burns. Penny is a GP and RACGP rep on the GP Roundtable with Australia's Chief Medical Officer. She's also chair of the New South Wales and ACT Disaster Management Committee, and she's currently doing a PhD on the role of GPs in disasters. Welcome, Penny. Thank you, Sean. For our listeners, this information is current as of the 24th of March, 2020. Please check any information that you hear on this podcast, and we'll be endeavouring to keep you up to date. So, Penny, let's leap straight into it. How about the current situation? We're in lockdown. Uh, Can you tell us a bit more about where we're at and what's happening? So at the moment, we are currently experiencing an outbreak with a novel virus um, in a population with little or no immunity. Um, And this virus has already spread across many countries and has actually been declared a pandemic by WHO. So a pandemic means pan across and demos people. So the definition of a pandemic is that it's a worldwide outbreak of a disease. It's a new virus emerging which can cause illness in humans, often comes from animals, and in this case it came, we think, originally from bats, and it can spread easily from one person to another. Why is this different? The pandemic viruses are sufficiently different from circulating viruses that few of any people in the community have got any immunity against it, including people who've had similar viruses before. So even though we've had um, other coronaviruses like MERS and SARS, there's very little immunity and that makes it very scary. So today, I think the numbers according to the John Hopkins site, I've got 378,000 confirmed, 16,000 deaths and 100,000 recovered. So in Australia, as of 6am today, we've got 1,800 confirmed cases of COVID-19 and 344 of those in the last 24 hours. Unfortunately, we have had seven people die all over the age of 75, but that is a small number in comparison to what's happening in some of the other countries. And we've had less than 20 people need ICU treatment to date. Um, The majority are currently occurring in New South Wales with Queensland and Victoria quickly catching up. And most cases have still been acquired overseas. However, there is growing concern that there's um, increasing community transmission in some of the cases. So... Luckily in Australia, we've got one of the lowest COVID-19 test positive rates. So we've tested 148,000 and we've got um, 1,800 confirmed. So our rate's about 0.9% compared with the US of 13% and the UK of uh, 5%. But we do have to be concerned because we've had a recent rapid influx and I think people have heard in the news about cruise ship and uh, some super spreader events such as a wedding and a church service um, and a little bit of non-compliance with people sitting on the beach at Bondi um, together mixing. So so the government has had to start to introduce some more public health measures at this time. Mm. So what are the main aims in, in managing this pandemic currently? They're really simple. They're to minimise the number of become infected or sick with COVID-19, to minimise how sick they become and how many people die, and to also reduce the burden on the healthcare system, which means GPs as well, um, and continue maintaining that regular care as well um, to help identify and manage those with the new virus. It's a significant job because when we compare um, this virus with other disease, we're we're looking at a case fatality rate of between one to two percent at the moment. And this is much higher than seasonal flu, which is about 0.1% 
0.001%, and swine flu, which was our other previous pandemic, the H1N1, and that was 0.1%. So it is something that we need to uh, really take very seriously. Definitely. So part of your PhD is on stages of pandemic. We're currently in the target action stage. Can you explain what that phase is and what are the different phases that we'll be moving through? Yeah, so the uh, I think the Prime Minister announced on the 15th of March that we had moved to target and action stage. Um, and this just sounds like a whole lot of new words. But what it's it's the pandemic's managed in very much a similar way to other disasters in terms of framework, with a, but with a little difference. So some of you might be familiar with the word sort of preparedness, response and recovery in disasters. Well, obviously the preparedness stage for the pandemic is getting ready and all making sure you've got supplies and you've got a plan. The response stage is actually broken down into three different stages. And so we have the initial action stage and that stage is really based on doing some sort of simple things when we are trying to minimise the spread across. So we've actually got the disease, we're trying to prevent it, we're trying to contain it, and we're trying to minimise the spread. So that's where, you know, we had prevented entry to Australia, there was increased surveillance amongst GPs, and we we're increasing the health literacy of all Australians to make sure that we could isolate and contain any suspected cases. So that was about really trying to stop this virus getting in. But it was also about trying to prepare the health system for increased numbers of patients coming in. So there was a lot of movement around changing the way EDs were and, and looking at staffing. And then it also involved managing initial cases, and that's where GPs came in. So GPs are crucial in identifying those early cases because if we can stop and contain them, we can really flatten the curve, which is we can slow down that, that rise in the number of cases that might overwhelm um, a healthcare system. And so that also involved the laboratories um, stepping up and increasing the number of tests they could do um, and public health really jumping in and stamping down on chasing contacts. And we saw that in China. So in China, they were very efficient in getting in early, in testing, in identifying cases and then tracing contacts. And at this point in time, China's cases are actually declining and a lot of their public health measures seem to have been shown to actually have a good effect. The other thing we're doing in the initial action stage is we're trying to learn more about the virus. So we don't know much about the virus. We're really keen to capture it. That's why we're all swabbing. We're keen to understand what it does. We're monitoring people who have the disease to try and work out what the case severity and what the cases or the case um, prognosis is. And that's why early on we had a lot of cases admitted to hospital, which now would just be managed at home because we know a lot more about it. So that's the initial action stage, which we've actually moved through now. And so then now, as of the 15th of March, we're in the targeted action stage. Is that making sense? It is. No, look, uh, very important, fascinating stuff. And I think as GPs, we're at the front line and we're seeing this stuff happen. But to actually hear that there's a framework to it is really, really valuable. So if we talk about the target action stage, so we've been in that now for a week. And so many of those activities I just mentioned continue. But now we've got a much better knowledge of the virus. We understand more about how infectious it is and how severe it is. And that that is a really um, crucial aspect of how we manage it. 
we're in a stage where we're waiting and hoping that we'll get a vaccine soon. Vaccines are not easy to produce and uh, I believe that the one for Ebola was five years before it was finally produced and safe to use. If we rush with a vaccine, we don't really have a good understanding with it, of it. My understanding is that 18 months is a really, really quick turnaround for a vaccine and hasn't yet happened. But there's a lot of people working on this. So the other things that are happening in targeted action are that we want to really, and for GPs, I think this is really crucial, we want to support and maintain quality care. So we want to make sure that patients are still getting their usual medical care running as a stream because we also want to be making sure that all their health checks and that chronic disease is managed really well. And then we need to have another stream where we're managing this new virus and trying to contain it. We also now know in the target action stage, we usually now have a good idea of who's more vulnerable. And, you know, in, in lots of the flu, we would have thought, oh, children are more vulnerable. But in this case, we don't really have that. We have a situation where the, the elderly are by far the most at risk and they're the ones that we need to start protecting. So we're almost starting to cohort patients that we think might be at more risk. So that's why the nursing home changes where they're limiting the number of people going in because we're actively trying to separate and protect our elderly. This is where GPs will have a really, really crucial role to play in rolling out the influenza vaccination as soon as possible to those groups because if we can prevent elderly getting the flu, then we're hopefully helping ensure that they're a bit stronger in case they do unfortunately come across COVID. We're also trying to, where possible, start to really use those public health measures. So we need to start looking where mildly ill people can now be managed at home and isolating. And that's meant for GPs that we're now starting to move into that um, phone and telehealth domain. And there's a huge amount of work going on with the college at the moment, trying to get those numbers or those requirements for use of telehealth expanded so that we can actually do this in a really comprehensive way for all patients. The college really is doing a huge amount of work because I think that's a critically important point. And I think, to be honest, the, the government hasn't fully appreciated how important that is. Yeah. And as I understand it, the college is also working to come up with uh, algorithms and decision support tools to help uh, GPs at the coalface be able to manage uh, those mild to moderate cases. Yeah, I agree, Sean. I I know some some of the members of the college who are exhausted, um, you know, working long weekends and the changes that they're getting through are phenomenal. The college was working really hard um, during the bushfires and we saw an unprecedented response from the college when those bushfires started to really ramp up in early November. And so the promptness with which they responded, um, the, the extent to which they then put up um, information on the website, sent out resources, identified um, what, what was needed and tried to get that through to practices. That was an amazing response. And I, I'm doing a PhD on this and I have not seen that before in Australia and in many parts of the world, actually. So when the COVID came, then they were actually pretty tired and they've jumped on board and there's a whole new response occurring with, again, there's a new website for that now with the bushfire one still ongoing. They've got the as we said, they've done the um, MBS work. There's a lot of guidelines going up, a lot of them being formed. There's videos being taken. There's a whole lot of work around PPE. And there's also a lot of meetings going on at know at state level that the college is involved with and other groups. There's a huge amount of activity happening in this space at the moment. And what I'd love to see come out of this is actually a system where we can, when the next pandemic comes, and it will come, that we actually have this already set in place and it's not such an onerous task. 
So what's the next phase we're likely to hit and how can GPs prepare for that? So part of I guess the other part of this target action stage still is though um, was is educating the community and managing the risk of exposure and reducing early spread. So that's a key part of targeted action that will actually then continue. So the next phase is actually stand down. So we are well and truly into the phases of the pandemic. So at the moment, we will be in this phase for probably quite a while. And there's talk about, you know, if we start to put these measures in place, that it could be a good six months before we are coming out the other end of this. And and who knows? It depends on how the virus responds to these actions. But the next stage is actually stand down. And stand down is what we would be doing when we think, okay, the numbers are starting to reduce. We're starting to now look at having some sort of sense of control. It might even be that the vaccine's been provided. So stand down is the next phase and is probably quite a way off. Mm. The moment we're trying to madly swab everyone, we're still trying to capture as much of the, the virus, those infected as we can, and we're trying to still separate them. When the transmission starts to increase rapidly in the community and we get to the point where there's a lot more community transmission, um, you know, over 50% has been mentioned, but it may even need to be higher, then we will get to a point where we're no longer wanting to swab people who have got, we think have got the virus and we're going to, as we did with swine flu, and we're going to say, okay, we presume everyone who has the cold-like symptoms has the virus. And now what we want to do is we want to swab the elderly who come in with those symptoms because we want to make sure they don't have coronavirus because we know they're at higher risk then of developing severe disease. And that, as we know, that's more likely to happen in the second week. So we sort of flip who we're testing mm. and, and that changes the load on the healthcare system as well. So we've still got, mm. I think, quite a long time to go in the targeted action phase yep. before we then go into stand down. And in stand down, it's really when we start to return to normal services and we start to look at what we've done. The other thing to remember about a pandemic is it can come in waves. So in Australia at the moment, I think we're experiencing this pandemic in different ways. So New South Wales has been, and where I am, is quite a hot spot at the moment. But I've been talking to friends in rural areas who, who are saying, oh, no, we haven't seen anything yet. So the pandemic does go in, is occurring in different stages in different parts of the country. And we do know that in some of the earlier pandemics, um, there have been waves of infection that have come through. So we've had two waves maybe, and that might be because there was a community that was isolated that then is suddenly exposed to it and it has a rapid effect or a severe effect on that community. Or it might be that the virus might change in some way. But that's also been one of the characteristics of some pandemics, having not just one wave through, but having that second wave. Right. And I think China's actually very much on the forefront with that sort of getting ready for what else may happen after. Even though it's, it's ramping down there, they're still saying it's not under control. We're waiting to see what else this virus does. Okay. So last question, what can GPs be doing to prepare from here? So look, I think it's really important it's a, it's a really, I don't know if you're finding it, Sean, but I'm finding it quite draining and quite anxiety producing. Yeah, too, right. Yeah. There's so much. I mean, I'm getting, I feel like I'm getting hundreds of emails every day. I'm, my WhatsApp little communication groups are bleeping away and I've just, I've even stopped responding. I know Facebook's are very, very active. There's all these different groups that are, um, you know, asking questions and wanting to do things and create things. There's some wonderful, GPs are doing some amazing stuff. They're coming up with simultaneously with lots of different algorithm ideas, fantastic flow through for practices. I think I think at the moment as GPs, we need to know that this is going to be a long haul and we need to be ready for that long haul. And so I think 
absolutely the number one thing for us as GPs is to look after ourselves mm. and to take time out of COVID. So have non-COVID time and also with our staff as well, because there's a lot of very scared staff out there. Yeah. But apart from that, I think the other key things that GPs need to be doing is they need to be really tightening up their infection control and making sure that they're practicing in a safe environment. And we learned that from SARS, um, the shortage of PPE and risk to staff or fear of contracting the disease during SARS led to huge anxiety, obviously, and that anxiety persisted long afterwards because that was the experience of the event. So I think it's really important early on that we go, okay, are our front staff, our reception staff feeling safe? We put in the meter and half distancing so that patients don't come in or we've got patients phoning they're not even coming up to the front desk we're doing telehealth I think every practice is different but I think they need we need to all have our own system that we're all comfortable with yep. that provides safety and structure and clarity to the staff so regular meetings updating them with good clear information on what's happening and what the, the situation is so that when they talk to patients they are giving, they're confident in their information. And again, we learned that from SARS, that staff were very stressed by not being able to tell patients what they thought was the correct thing. Mm. One of the ways around doing that, I think, is to just have one GP in a practice that's sort of the lead COVID person, if you like, and they concentrate on making sure that they go in in the morning, they get a couple of sources of truth. And, you know, I, I think the RACGP Corona page is really good. Mm. It's linking to everything. It's doing updates at the beginning. They link to Health Pathways as well, which is also doing a good job through the PHNs. There's the Department of Health website, which is also updating. And then there's the, the local, knowing what the local nuances are is really important. Yeah. You can get all of that from the RACGP page, but I think having two sources of truth and just don't worry about all the others. You'll see all sorts of stuff coming through, but it's very time consuming to update. Yeah. Look, that's great advice. And I think, you know, the self-care stuff, you can't be overemphasised. Uh, this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. So we do have to be looking after ourselves and each other. Exactly. On that note, Penny, I would like to thank you very much. Stay safe. Thanks, John. 